Hello, listeners. Welcome to Seize the Day. This is Laura Gibbons, back with our third and final episode, bringing lessons from nature into the classroom. In our previous episodes, Amy gave us some background on the Duke Engage program, and Andres talked about what ecological resilience is and the connection between ecological and personal strength. We defined resilience as the ability to bounce back from a disturbance, either emotionally or physically, and showcase our first story where we learned about self-awareness, optimism, and connection with Ollie the Orca. In our second story, Gilbert the Grouper learned the importance of connection, strength of character, and optimism. Today, we're going to hear more about who those lessons were developed for and how they can be integrated into the classroom. This was an especially important task over the summer of 2022. After years of disrupted learning, many schools in the area were noticing that their students were not developing social skills at the same rate as they did pre-COVID. Between that and the trials of living in a climactically vulnerable area, Carteret County students have been confronted with more than their fair share of emotional distress. Luckily, Liz DeMaria and the Community Science Initiative have worked closely with Carteret County Public Schools in the past and were looped in to help develop some solutions. Listen on to hear more from Liz about those partnerships and the collaborative development that went into these stories. I'm here today with Liz Samadio with the Community Science Initiative and with Duke Engage. Liz, can you give us some background on the school's motivations in developing this curriculum and how they were deciding to address this concept and where this idea of like a two-pronged resilience curriculum came from? Sure. Thanks for having me, Laura. So this all came about with collaboration with our partners, and it started with the Boys and Girls Club when we had groups who were interested in working on STEM after-school programming They said to us after COVID, our kids are suffering socially and emotionally. Can we have some help with that? And what came out of that was recognizing that we don't have the answers to that. We're really good at creating science projects with schools. And so we partnered with uh, different groups and actually ended up working with teachers. So everything that's been created in this curriculum has been a co-production. But these stories themselves came about because in focus groups, we had this idea to use nature as a way of storytelling. And how could we get these difficult um, concepts of personal resiliency across using nature? And there's so many interesting combinations between the two that we had uh, students run with it. Yeah, that's wonderful. It's been really great hearing about how you guys have kind of pivoted your work with the Boys and Girls Club from a really science-based interaction with them to this and kind of how you're still bringing in that science background anyway. And it sounds like it's been working really well. Well, when co-production is done well, it is because you work together and you listen to each other, what each partner can bring to the table, and you work with it and What's been great about this is that we had teachers also on board who basically said, we can use this in the classroom. We can't use this. In fact, we had a workshop this summer where they developed ideas for what should be in the curriculum. Our group, including Rory, actually went back and created all parts of the 
curriculum activities based on their notes. And then they have now been piloting them in the classroom and have come back to us on what works, what doesn't. So it's all a work in progress and really a back and forth conversation between the different partners. That's great. Yeah, that it's not just you give them the final products and say, like, work with this, whatever you have sort of a thing. It's cool. Not at all. <laughs> they basically tell us what they want to do, and then we do the background information, and then we constantly um, have iterations that are done together. So it's really rewarding to work with such quality teachers and also such great community partners. Yeah, I bet. It sounds like everybody's really fantastic on all sides of these, frankly. Especially these students who've been writing these projects. <laughs> yes, our Duke Engage students were great. <laughs> Would you be able to talk more about the development process and the steps that were taken to get from these concept ideas, these ideas that the teachers are giving you, to the resiliency curriculum that they're using now? Yeah, that really was Rory, who's the author of one of the stories. So she worked with the Community Science Initiative this summer and with Carter County Public Schools. And she basically oversaw the Duke Engage students in this project and did the process with them. So she wrote a fable alongside them. And their process was one of meeting with us, meeting with a resiliency expert, Patrick Jeffs, then going back to the writing center at Duke, getting information from them, having groups critique all of their writing. And so even that in and of itself was an iterative process with some teachers with experts outside to really get um, the stories fleshed out in a way that middle school kids could absorb. And it sounds like it worked, too, based on the feedback I've heard. Yeah, um, I have to say Rory's pretty amazing. She sat down with the students and worked with them the whole summer and worked alongside them. And when you listen to the stories, it's really fun to see those initial ideas just come alive. Yeah, I agree. They, they're really awesome stories, and you can tell that there's a lot of work that went into them, and I, of course, agree that Rory's fantastic. <laughs> we both got to work with her. <laughs> <laughs> so you've said that you have some feedback from Carter County Public Schools from this semester that's progressed so far. What have you heard from them about how this curriculum has been integrating into their classroom and how they've been using it and what they've liked and maybe what they haven't liked? One of the things that they've loved are the stories. And because the stories, personal resilience, sometimes when you think of those pillars, it can make kids have to look inside of themselves and that can be difficult. But when you have a story that's about something outside yourself, you can think about these contexts in a very safe space. And so the teachers had originally thought that maybe this would be, you know, one of the curriculums that they would do third or fourth. But what they've come to realize is introducing these stories first really allows for their students to get an idea about these concepts and thinking about it outside themselves in things that are based in nature, but that they can think about without it being uh, scary and too personal. Thinking about some of those pillars like optimism and connection. It's kind of hard to conceptualize that even at my stage in life, right? Much less in middle school. But then thinking about it from Ollie's perspective or from Gilbert's perspective, it's a lot easier. And and just the fun of a story. Right. So we sometimes don't 
really conceptualize or understand how powerful stories can be. And stories are fun and they transport us places. And at the same time, if you can get um, some ideas across through story and through storytelling, what a beautiful way to talk about abstract ideas or um, even something that could be difficult to think about. I mean, you know, a kid could say, oh, yeah, that's my Gilbert moment or <laughs> hold, hold my algae. I can get on with this. I want all kids I to sure say hold so. my algae. <laughs> I sure hope so. <laughs> well, thank you, Liz, for coming on to talk with us today. It was fantastic working with you over the summer. And I'm looking forward to many more collaborations between us. Thank you, Laura. The joy was all mine. I loved working with you this summer and truthfully working with these students on these stories has been such a ray of sunshine. As Liz mentioned, our absolute MVP of this development process was Rory McCollum. Here she is reading her story, The Live Oak and the Wind. The Live Oak and the Wind Have you ever wondered why live oaks are shaped just so? Well, many years ago, on a coastline much like you would see here in North Carolina, there was a live oak forest. In this forest, there was a curious little sapling called Quint. Quint was eager to learn and always wanted to hear about the rest of the world from the migratory birds that passed through. One bird told her all about the monumental redwoods in California that grow over 200 feet tall with trunks 30 feet wide. Another told Quint of the Lavalley pines, which were also tall and straight, but very skinny. Another still told her of the giant cypress trees that grew out of the water. As she heard these stories, Quint looked up at her own family and noticed something. All the elder live oaks were short, and had wide gnarled trunks and twisting branches. She became curious and asked her relatives, why are we shaped so differently? An older tree responded, we grow this way because it helps us thrive here on the coast. We can stay strong when things get tough. Most importantly, we can survive the hurricanes. As they said this, the other trees seemed to sway in agreement. Even though Quint didn't quite understand what a hurricane was and wanted to ask more questions, she nodded along as well. A timid gray squirrel named Sai, who lived on one of Quint's branches, told her, a hurricane is the scariest thing in the world. We animals have to run and hide on higher ground. The wind and water try to destroy everything. I'm always on the lookout. There could be one any day. Sai's approach seemed a little extreme to Quint. In her daily life, Quint only experienced two things. First, she felt the wind, constant yet variable. Some days it was strong and other days it was calm, but it was always present. The second thing was all the critters that used the oaks for shelter, scurrying up and down their branches as they made their nests. Although Sai was a particularly nervous squirrel, he was one of her favorite residents. Each day, as the wind pushed and pulled her, Quint listened to Sai chatter on about all the bad things that could happen. And each day, Quint was changing.
even though she couldn't see it herself. Some days were exhausting, some were invigorating, but most days were simply normal. No matter what the previous day brought, Quint got up at sunrise ready to do it all again. She spent most of her time talking with the other trees, growing leaves and branches, and caring for the animals who made their home in her canopy. Even then, in the back of her mind, she was waiting to be tested. She wanted to know if her twisted trunk and branches could withstand a hurricane, whatever that was. In the summer, Quint worked hard to photosynthesize and make a happy home for her friends. In the winter, she rested. Many years passed without much adversity, and Quint was content. One day, a cormorant suddenly appeared on their shore, clearly exhausted from a long flight. He sputtered out one word, hurricane. As that word escaped his beak, the world all around the trees exploded with noise. All the birds and squirrels took off as quickly as they could. To where, the trees were never sure. The oaks, with their deep roots and heavy bodies, couldn't run away. Quint was afraid. She looked to her relatives for comfort, and the older trees reassured her. This isn't the first storm they had endured, and it certainly wouldn't be the last. One especially gnarled and ancient tree shared a story about the first major storm they ever encountered. At the end of it, they said, the most important thing to remember, Quint, and they looked down at her lovingly is that when you find yourself in a situation that seems impossible to weather alone, know that we are all here to help you. Reach out your roots and hold on to us all. We will come through this together. Quint did as they suggested, and as she felt her family weaving their roots with hers, she felt an overwhelming sense of hope. Although she still didn't know exactly when or how hard the hurricane would hit, she did know that her family would be there with her through it all. The wind continued to pick up as the animals fled. It was unrelenting. As it pushed, pulled, yanked, and punched the trees, Quint and her family bent and stretched but never broke. Under the ground, she felt her roots intertwined with those of her family, sharing their strength. Even when the water crashed up on the land, sweeping around their trunks, the stout and twisted shape of the trees allowed the water to wash around them just as the wind did, without breaking them. They all lost many leaves and small branches, and at times Quint felt like she wanted to give up. Each time she felt that way, she dug her roots even deeper and held onto her family even tighter. In those moments, she also reminded herself, I am built for this. With my family beside me, I can do anything. It was an exhausting experience, one that felt like it would never end. But it did, as all things do. Eventually, the wind died down, the water receded, and slowly, the animals returned. As they returned, Quint was always looking for her nervous little friend. Eventually, Sai appeared, Slightly bedraggled, but not too much worse for wear. He told her all about the tall, straight trees that had broken or been torn up from the ground under the force of the wind. In that moment, for the first time, Quint truly appreciated the importance of the daily wind. 
their gnarled trunks, and their intertwining roots. After the hurricane, Quint understood what her family had been trying to explain to her. The ability to lean on their strength to keep her grounded was just as important as the twists in her branches and leaves. A hurricane is hard, and often sad. They all agreed on that. But each one also prepares you for the next. Quint realized a tree can always rebuild. She could grow new leaves and new branches, and she would know how to grow them better and stronger next time. Many years and a couple hurricanes later, a new young sapling sprouted. As he was taking in the same world and the older trees, he asked Quint the same question she had all those years ago. Why are we shaped so differently? Can you guess what she said? Quint told him, these knotted branches and twisted trunks represent the small challenges, the ones you take on every day and every week. They all prepare you for the big ones. The young tree still seemed confused, so she continued. How you handle daily dilemmas matters. If you allow yourself to be strengthened by each obstacle instead of destroyed, you too can learn to bend without breaking. If you can do that and remember to rely on all of us, the trees who care about you, even when things are darkest, we will find a way through together. Quint and the newest sapling remembered that conversation for a long time. As they matured, they let the wind shape them and reached their roofs deeper and wider. Day by day, Quint and the little sapling learned a little more how to bend and not break. The end. Sounds like there's a lot to learn about how to approach those tiny daily mishaps and frustrations from these sturdy live oaks. Now to showcase the importance of connection, self-regulation, and optimism, Spencer Morrow will be reading Carry the Tree. Carry the Tree. One morning, on a beautiful spring day, a sapling named Carrie appeared, poking his head for the first time through the dirt. As he looked around for the first time at the new world, he saw gigantic trees of all shapes and sizes towering over him with thick, long branches, welcoming him to his new home. Carrie felt small and lesser than the other trees, so he worked endlessly to catch up, absorbing all the sun and nutrients he could. The other small trees in the forest wanted to grow big too, and decided to work together to be the biggest they could be. Carrie refused to work with them and instead only focused on himself. As time passed, Carrie grew and grew. He began to overwork himself, leaving no time to rest, and continued to grow bigger, eventually becoming taller than most other trees in the forest. Terry was still not content, because he wanted more. He vowed to be the largest tree in the forest, only focusing on himself and ignoring his peers. All the other trees who lived with Terry over the years tried to communicate, asking Terry to join their network of roots beneath the surface, which they used to communicate with one another about certain conditions and potential threats. They asked and asked, but Terry wouldn't listen. He was almost oblivious to his surroundings, always in his constant state of work. Though exhausted, Terry refused to join this so-called mycorrhizal network, 
He did not have time to relax and think about what was below the surface, as it wouldn't help him grow taller. Then, one day as Terry was reaching for the clouds, a bug infestation began. As the bugs multiplied, trees nearby began to deteriorate and sent out chemical alarm signals in their underground network. These signals warned other trees of the impending danger and allowed others to prepare and protect themselves in hopes of surviving these pesky insects. Terry, who wasn't part of this mycorrhizal network, was unaware of the insects coming towards him and did not have the proper preparations in place. Only when the bugs came close did Terry realize he was in danger, and he began to panic. Without communicating with the other trees, Terry was unable to prepare and started to lose leaves and branches. As the insects continued to feast, Terry feared he couldn't produce enough photosynthetic material to survive and feared for the worst. Luckily, a neighboring tree came to Terry's rescue. Since the tree knew about the infestation in advance through his own connections, he was able to produce fungus on his roots to combat the bugs. The neighboring tree swayed and shook as hard as it could, transferring some of this fungus to the helpless Terry, successfully warding off the bugs. Terry didn't know what to say. For the first time in years, he looked at the trees around him, noticing how they all seemed prepared for the bugs. Terry realized that by focusing so much on himself, he was missing out on crucial information that the other trees could share with him, and it almost cost him his life. After years of ignoring his friends, Terry was embarrassed to ask for forgiveness, but he did, in hopes of joining their network. The other trees welcomed Terry into their mycorrhizal network with open arms, and he felt happier than he had ever been before, even if it meant he would never be the tallest. He knew he was part of a community that was even bigger than himself. By joining the network, him and the other trees shared information, helping each other out in the process, and having fun together too. Terry the tree ended up living a long and happy life, and while the next disaster came sooner than he would have anticipated, he was prepared, all thanks to his friends. Once again, that was Spencer with Carrying the Tree. Spencer spent some time this summer reading his story to kids in our community. He came on to talk to us about the inspiration for Carrying the Tree and the reception these stories got. I'm here with Spencer Morrill, author of Carrying the Tree. Spencer, would you mind talking us a little bit about yourself? So I am a rising junior at Duke University. I am an environmental science and policy major, and I'm from Long Island, New York. Um, I grew up like five minutes from the ocean, so I think that's why I kind of chose the environmental path. And it's been great being here at the Marine Lab because, you know, I kind of feel like I'm right at home. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot closer to the ocean than Durham is anyway. Yes. <laughs> Would you walk us through the development process of your story? How did you write it? We all met originally, and we kind of just were brainstorming ideas and stuff. And then as the weeks progressed, we kind of started doing rough drafts, and then it came to the final product. But there was definitely a lot of group collaboration in between that. For example, originally Terry was supposed to encounter a forest fire, but then Liz Damadia, who is the head of Duke Engage at the Marine Lab, 
kind of told me that a bug infestation is more ecologically correct. And even though these stories are for students um, of middle school and elementary school, she wanted to make sure that the science was 100% accurate. So that was kind of the direction we took. That's great. Yeah, I mean, it'll be great for their biology classes as well and keeping things accurate. Would you be able to talk a little bit about the pillars of resiliency that you integrated into your story? I had three main pillars in mind. Um, the first one is connections because, you know, Carrie eventually meets up with all his other tree friends at the end. And even though he's a little reluctant at first, he realizes that connections are the best way to move forward and to grow. And honestly, just to be happy. So that was my main one. Another one I used was self-regulation or kind of lack thereof that Terry had. He was so focused on, you know, being the biggest tree and overworking himself that he ignored all his peers and didn't really take time to like be happy. So he kind of lacked self-regulation skills. And then also there was a little bit of optimism at the end when he finally did join the network of other trees. He realize that for the next natural disaster, he'll be ready because he has like a shoulder to lean on and friends who will support him. It's wonderful to have these examples of how students can be using these pillars. What drew you towards writing this story or this topic? Why did you choose it? At the beginning of the process, I can't even remember why, but Liz sent us a New York Times article that was about the mycorrhizal network. Um, I do struggle with that word, but I think I've got it now. <laughs> um, but it was about the trees and how they were connected under, under the ground. And I thought that was so cool. I mean, I had no idea. So I knew I wanted to write about that. And then also in middle school, I kind of had the same mentality as Terry, probably to a lesser degree. But I thought, you know, I should only focus on myself and my own goals. And I didn't really see the value of working with others. Now I'm completely the opposite, did a full 180. I love working with other people and working in groups, but I wish I had like a story like this when I was in middle school to kind of push me in the direction of knowing the value of connections a little sooner. So that's why I knew I wanted to write about that. That's great. Yeah. A very good lesson to be learning in middle school. Yeah, definitely. Would you be able to talk a bit about why these stories are for middle schoolers? Yes. Um, we wanted to write these for middle schoolers because, especially with COVID and everything, they missed out on crucial years of development. And everybody knows, like, middle school is the time to branch out, like, start exploring yourself. You're becoming an adult. So we thought it was really important to kind of make up for this lost time that these middle schoolers and even elementary schoolers had when they were at home. So we wanted to try and teach them these lessons and hopefully make an impact. So you're talking about it like you've used these in classrooms before or with other kids. Can you talk a bit about your experience using these stories over the summer? Originally, we met with teachers because we were working on um, implementing resiliency curriculum in the classroom. So there are a bunch of local teachers from a bunch of different schools and we read our stories to them and they really liked them. They thought their kids could really benefit from them. 
And then a few days later, we met with some local high schoolers and we read our stories to them. And they were also super receptive. We asked them questions afterwards about resiliency and what pillars they saw in them. And I was super thrilled when they got them right and they got, you know, talked about connections and optimism and everything. So clearly they saw the messages that we were trying to include in the stories. And I just thought that was really cool. Did you notice that the high schoolers were getting anything different out of your stories than the middle schoolers were? They actually did. A few of them um, brought up other points that I hadn't even thought of. And I would like to take credit for it, but it was completely <laughs> accidental. So, but a few of them did, yeah, mention things I had not even thought about, which I thought was cool. That's great. What are some of the things that have come up when you've been telling these stories to middle schoolers? Is there anything that sticks out in your mind? Yeah, I mean, I was honestly just surprised at how receptive they were and how much they actually paid attention during the story. I feel like they were really into it, especially after hearing their input after I read the story. I just thought that was super cool. I didn't know how much of an impact it would really make. And just from their feedback afterwards, I think it was super special. That's wonderful. Paint a picture of how you're envisioning the lessons from Terry the Tree being used by these students in their everyday life. Yeah, I mean, I think, like you said, it can be used every day and and whether they're at school at a job even at home because like I said before being out of school from COVID is like such a hard thing for kids to go through at that super crucial age of development so I think these lessons can really just be used for anything and even the ecological messages too because my generation and their generation are really going to be the ones that are going to have to fight climate change and make reform in our government and our society. So I think even that in mixed with the resiliency is super important. So I really hope it made an impact. <laughs> I'm sure it will. And it'll be used by the schools in the county for a while. Yes. No, that's super exciting. <laughs> yeah. Well, Thank you for coming in and talking today, and it was great hearing your perspectives on why you wrote this story. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Seize the Day. This was the last episode produced by Laura Givens and Liz DiMattia as part of their Duke Engage program. The story of Terry the Tree was written by Spencer Moyle, and the story of the live oak in the wind was written by Rory McCollum. You can find out more about these authors and illustrated versions of their stories on our website at sites.nicholas.duke.edu slash seize the day. Our theme music was written and recorded by Joe Morton. Our seize the day artwork is by Stephanie Hillsgrove. Additional artwork for this episode is by Maggie Murray. If you like this episode, please leave us a rating in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And follow us on Instagram and Twitter at seize the day pod. Thanks for listening.